Hello, everyone. This is Food Talks executive producer Rob Para. On today's episode, Danny talks with Dana Dude, a stand-up comic, actor, writer, and producer. He has a podcast, Green Eggs and Dan, on which he talks with comedians, writers, actors, and chefs about what they love most, food, and how it plays a role in their lives. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Food Talk Live. A reminder that this episode will also appear on our podcast, Food Talk with Danny Nierenberg. So please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a really exciting guest today. Uh, Today, I get to chat with Dan Adut, who is a stand-up comic, actor, writer, producer, and host of the podcast Green Eggs and Dan. Um, Dan has been a frequent guest on The Tonight Show and is currently on NBC's Bajillion Dollar Properties. He has been on ABC's Super Fun Night with Rebel Wilson, Comedy Central's Workaholics, and At Midnight, uh, Disney uh, Channel's Kicking It and Adult Swim's Your Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. And I've been watching him sort of obsessively on uh, Netflix and Cobra Kai. So it's so great to see him and to have him on the show. His uh, podcast, Green Eggs, and and Dan talks with comedians, writers, actors, and chefs about what they love most about food and and really the role that food plays in in their lives. Each episode starts with dissecting an actual photo of the guest fridge, which takes the conversation, I'm sure, to some really surprising places, Dan. Um, This is your third season starting November 11th, I believe. That's so exciting. Congratulations on the success of it. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a real honor to be here. And that was the nicest intro I've heard in such a long time. And being in quarantine, it just warmed my heart so much. Yay. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's been an exciting, I, I never expected to be a food podcaster. So this is a fun little third act uh, going on in my career right now. This is not what you were thinking of when you were in third grade, that you were going to be a podcaster and you're going to grow up to be a, you know, have your mic and travel with it. Yes. When I was in third grade and podcast or the internet didn't even exist, I was just like, you want to be an astronaut? Oh, you want to be a fireman? No, I want to create a new medium for audio and then talk to people about food on it. (laughs) So, Dan, one of the things that I like to do with uh, our podcast, Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg, is ask everyone um, what their favorite food memory is. And so I'm wondering if you want to share one from childhood or from living in L.A. or from living in New York. What, do, you, do you have a favorite food memory? Oh, favorite food memory. I think my favorite food memory is... Probably the first time I ever had pasta with pesto sauce. Um, <laughs> I was a child and I was a, uh, my parents uh, took me to Italy and I, I remember uh, I, I, it was one of those things that it just like, I didn't know those flavors could exist. And also, you know, I grew up having Persian food. So Persian food and Italian food, you kind of couldn't get much more different. And it was such a vibrant, exciting flavor. So I, I guess my, yeah, I, my, my, that's probably the one that's kind of emblazoned in my in my head the most. Um, the other one is probably having duck confit for the first time, <laughs> having that crisp. Wow, these are very pretentious first food memories. I'm like, <laughs> my first one was pasta with pesto by Le Cuomo, and the second one was a duck confit at Le Cirque. No, I need to really, uh, I need to have more uh, common man uh, first food memories. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like yeah. Cheerios, Cheerios. Let's make it Cheerios. <laughs> Let's delete everything I just said. It was a bowl of Cheerios. Uh, next question. <laughs> uh, I'm leaving that all in. We're not editing anything out. <laughs> no, that, that, those are great food memories. Those are great food memories. I mean, I, I think everyone on this show has had such different ones. We've had everyone from like Chef Dan Barber to farmers in Iowa. And just hearing like what people remember or like what, you know, just what makes them happy. Like a lot of what these food memories uh, do is bring a lot of joy back to people. So that's what you want. You want that joy. Let me guess what Dan Barber's was. His was probably like a carrot that he grew only using his own tears <laughs> as the water infusing the carrot and that was his first uh that was his first food memory that's what I, i'm assuming of dan barber no it was actually a ding dong so no oh really <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding it wasn't i don't even uh, remember dan's a good be, friend and i don't even remember that would be so, so great dan barber's <laughs> first food memory was ding dong <laughs> um so you know, I if you looked in my refrigerator right now, it's very messy. It's like we've been growing food on our balcony. So there's like a lot of like leftover chopped up bits of like things like green onions and scallions and really ugly looking tomatoes. And so I would never show anyone. Bernie always tries to get uh, me to show people uh, my uh, refrigerator on the podcast. I'm like, no, you can't look in there. And then they're like dented, you know, cans of La Croix and that kind of thing. So what gave you this idea to to take a look? Look inside people's refrigerators and and you know ask them about it. I mean, I've always done that uh, whenever I go to people's houses. Like that's my creepy kind of stalkery thing is like looking in there. It's and it's it's very invasive. You know, it's kind of like looking in someone's underwear drawer. But I also feel like you can tell so much about someone's life just by looking at their fridge. You can tell if they're single. You can tell if they're married, you can tell if they have kids, you can tell if they're messy, if they're neat, if they're control freaks, if they're if they just let it let it ride, you know, if they you know have zero inhibitions. Um, I feel like for me, especially as for someone who food is probably the most important thing in my life, uh, I, I just always thought like it was a window to someone's soul. And um, so I started to go to friends' houses and look in their fridges and I would start taking pictures of them and posting them. And these were, you know, some of them were famous and people would go nuts when they'd see, you know, famous people's fridges on my Instagram. And I was like, oh, this might be something here. So I got a bunch of my friends together and asked them if they'd be down to do this. Um, and they all were very excited to do it. I mean, some were obviously more apprehensive than others, but, um, you know, this season coming up, uh, we have such amazing guests like Padma Lakshmi is gonna be on it, Phil Rosenthal. <laughs> And it's just like these people that you're so used to, like, especially Padma, you're so used to seeing her on TV, so confident and suave and all that. Sure. She was like uh, a nervous little girl to show me her fridge. Aww. She did not want to show it. But meanwhile, it was like the coolest fridge in the world. Like she had like little chutneys that she like bought herself in like Northern India. And like of she had course. a custom bottle of Tabasco that they made for her that was like in a black <laughs> bottle. Like it looked like a Dom Perignon <laughs> bottle of Tabasco. Wow. Yeah, it was so cool. So you just learn. So, and then like, you know, Ruth Reichel is going to be on this season. And like, she has exactly the type of fridge that you would expect Ruth Reichel to have. Like, you just would die for this fridge. It's like, she just has so many wonderful friends who just send her the best things ever. She's like, these were the, you know, these were truffles that were picked last week. And, you know, just like, she's got the best stuff. Um, and then I, I'd say the one that you just wouldn't expect was Ignacio Matos, the chef of Estella in Manhattan, uh, which is, you know, was voted one of the top 50 restaurants in the world by San Pellegrino. 
Uh, he basically had like an avocado and like half a tin of hummus in there. That was like his whole <laughs> fridge, like a Michelin star chef's fridge looked like a, you know, a homeless college student's fridge. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's fascinating. And, and it seems like, like other people do too. It's very voyeuristic in, in a very fun way. It is. It's so personal. And I think it speaks to the real, you know, how food is so personal. So your fridge, it is like opening up like your, you know, your, your medicine cabinet or something else and showing people like who you really are. And um, it, it's so interesting to me. Do you think because of COVID-19, like if you went back to like maybe season one of your podcast, that some of these re refrigerators would look very, very different than they they did a couple of years ago now? Yeah, I mean, I did a little, I when, when COVID hit, I was asking everyone to send me pictures of their quarantine fridges and I would repost them. And I mean, they were, everyone's fridge is just full to the gills with like canned goods. It's like a Cormac McCarthy novel <laughs> where I'm just like, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's put a, COVID has put such a focus on, on the home and on, on, on storing food. And, you know, I remember reading somewhere that like deep freeze, deep freezers um, were on back order because people right. were just like, I need to start planning for this because I, I feel like we just got so used to, um, you know, just buy what you need. And that's kind of a new concept for us. I don't think it was always like that, you know, especially um, back in the day. So I feel like a lot of people are getting in touch with their roots and getting in touch with how to make things last longer and, um, and also getting in touch with what it means to not, not depend on the outside world uh, as much for, uh, you know, both procuring your food and cooking your food. You know, absolutely. There's, there's more outdoor gardens now than there ever have been. Um, you know, I, I started a, I started um, a couple of, uh, of outdoor planters in my place. And I, you know, I was never going to do that before. And, you know, now I, I'm like Mr. Like uh, growing seedlings into, you know, little plants. <laughs> so, and I never thought that would be me, but um, there was definitely, you know, it was weird. Like right when the pandemic hit, I feel like everyone started baking bread. They started looking into sure. plants. They started looking into, you know, things that we never really thought about. And now it's like more people know what season to, to plant your arugula than they ever did before. You know what I mean? So right. I think, you know, I don't know if I'd even call if, if there's a silver lining to this, it's like, I feel like people are realizing how fragile this system of food delivery is that we've created, how dependent we are on it and how important it is to maybe pull back from it a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned freezers because I, you know, for so long, especially among foodies, there's been this cult of fresh, like you could only have fresh food and frozen food was like, you know, for, for people who didn't know what they were doing and didn't know yeah. how to cook and that kind of thing. And there's been sort of this revolution in frozen food. And so I wonder if you'd ever consider looking into to folks's like freezers now, because I bet those have changed dramatically. Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, uh, I am also a hunter. I, I, I hunt and I've always hunted. Um, so I've always had a freezer pack. Not I've always hunted. I've hunted for the last like four years. Um, but my, I've always had a freezer full of, uh, of game meat. And, you know, my hunting friends, for us, it's never been a weird thing to have a deep freeze. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I, 
that concept was definitely weird for me though when before before hunting of like you can have meat in the freezer for over a year and it'll still be fine um because i do think that we are taught that everything is needs to be you know completely fresh and um you know there's almost like a class thing about it of like oh you have to freeze Absolutely. your food like oh why are you like bulking up at costco so you can get cheap prices and it's like uh i i'm glad that that's that's not that's that's kind of been debunked with all this um but yeah i do think meat freezer uh, uh, freezers of hunters are always really interesting because it's like this is an elk that i got five years ago and this like everything has like a story <laughs> um, absolutely yeah so uh i'm all i've always been a freezer fan i've always been a huge freezer fan well, and I love that you brought up the stigmatization. Like, I think a lot of, you know, things are sort of falling away now as people really are, are they have to cook at home. They don't have a choice. And freezer, frozen vegetables can be really delicious and nutritious. And like you said, frozen meat, it has all these stories behind it. Or if you just want to make sure that like you you can do things easily, you know, people are ordering from a lot of companies like Daily Harvest and all of these others and just sort of stocking up so that they have they have food in place. But you also mentioned something that I think is interesting is that now people sort of realize that, you know, they can't get asparagus, well, they can't get good asparagus in like February, that things are seasonal. And, and I wonder how you see that sort of, changing or, or you know even in your own life are you learning how to sort of depend on things more seasonally now yeah you know look i definitely went through a phase where you know i had just read the omnivores dilemma i went to blue hill for the first time speaking of dan barber and i became like a hyper local hyper for a while and um it just became uh it's it, it it's definitely the way that things should be done. It's tough to do, let's be honest here. And Danny, I mean, you could speak to this. I'm always like, here's where I have a little bit of an issue and and and, and please open my eyes because I feel like I, I, I support the local war movement. I support sure. the, you know, diversifying farming and, and, and moving away from monoculture farming. But um, I mean, how, you know, I, I listened to Joel Saladin talk about it and all that stuff but it's like on a grand scale how feasible is it are we just are is this a fight that we're never gonna win i mean is this like is is there just too much is there too much momentum in the other like sometimes it feels like mm -hmm. when i talk about it i feel like i'm the person who's the last person who 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 gave up his landline for a cell phone who's like no i don't need it it's not gonna happen <laughs> but like just the, all the momentum <laughs> is just moving in that direction like Please make me be a little more optimistic about this. You know, tell me that it's a little more possible than I think it is. I think that has what what has happened in the food movement over the last 15 or 20 years is that you're shamed if you don't eat seasonally or if you don't eat hyper locally. And that's not what I think any of us who are working towards a better food system have ever sort of advocated for. We don't want to shame folks. We want to make sure that people are eating well, that they they can support local economies when they're able to. That, you know, I think what we've seen with COVID 
is that a lot of folks realized that they had to depend on regional food systems. Like regional farmers were able to get where you are right now, able to get food into New York City when, you know, some of the the supply chains broke down. And and I think that, you know, people are realizing that, you know, you characterized it as a fight. I, I don't think it's a fight to win or lose. We're always going to want coffee and bananas and wonderful chocolate and, and, and other things. But I think we can create shorter supply chains that support those local farmers and and those regional farmers and that you know what covid has exposed is the need for you know maybe things like more local canneries or local milling operations so that people understand that things taste different when they're closer to home they don't always have to be more expensive right um, but they can be really wonderful ways of just exploring food culture and not shaming folks, but they can create more jobs. They can create more opportunities. They can create that deliciousness and joy that I think has been lost in a lot of our food system. So, um, you know, there are lots of ways to look at it, but I, you, you want to look at it as, as, as positively as you can, right? Because not everyone's perfect. Some, you know, we, we all like to eat things that, you know, come packaged or from far away every once in a while or, you know, every day. <laughs> and that's okay too. But it, 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 it doesn't have to be either or, and no one has to feel shamed in this process. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I guess I'm just solutions wise. I always like to think of what would cause the greatest amount of shift. And in my opinion, I think we need, we need more of these kind of, we need better modes of getting the food into people's hands. Like as much as I love farmer's markets, like it's, it's an inconvenience sometimes. And I feel like these kind of the boxes that come to you with, you know, the CSA boxes or misfits or those guys, I feel like that's kind of a, a good step in the right direction. But I just feel like there needs to be a more streamlined sort of Instacart way to get that stuff sure. to you. And I feel like, you know, once it's like, we're lazy, we're, we're just so lazy <laughs> just as a species, but also just especially now we're just used to everything one, one click away and it sucks, but it's just, it's the way it is. And I feel like if that was, you know, I think Apricot, is it Apricot Hill Farms, the ones that made that movie? Um, oh, uh, we yeah, bought a, yeah. We bought a farm or something. Right. I feel like they just started, or there's some sort of designation now that's like above organic. It's like, it's not organic. It's like, it comes from Rege a farm. Yes, regenerative, regenerative organic. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I love that. I love that. And if there was an easy, but then like I went on the website of it, and it was like a wonky, like built on HTML, like in the eighties, like, like not easy to, to maneuver. Like, so I feel like if I love that having a designation like that, Hey, I would, I would spend extra money for that. And you know, if it's not that much more, more money, I'm sure a lot of people would. So Absolutely. I, I feel Absolutely. like I'm down to, you know, and look, I know that I'm lucky and, 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 you know, I've got money, but I'm, I'm so down to spend that extra money for something like that. And in a lot of cases, I'm sure it'd be the same amount of money. And it's those Absolutely. cases where I think it's like crucial that we let people know, yo, just click over here. Instead of clicking over there, you're gonna get something that's better for you, better for the environment. Like people love win-win. And I feel like we're at a place where we're so close to be, being able to do that, don't you think? Absolutely. And it, it's not just win-wins, it's win-win-wins. You know, you're supporting local economies, you're getting better nutritious food, you're protecting the environment. There are all these positive things that can come from it. And I think, you know, uh, companies like Thrive Market, 
good eggs. They're they're doing some of what you're alluding to, making it easier to to purchase, you know, those regenerative organic products or other products that you believe in and not and not actually spend that much more. Maybe you're buying, you know, less meat but better quality meat, those kinds of things. We're on the precipice of something, right? And I think this has been coming along for a, a really long time now, you know, since omnivores dilemma and even before. And 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 folks are really interested in and what you're bringing to light, that it needs to be easy and it needs to be quick. And especially now with COVID, when people can't, you know, shop as, as much as they they used to, they can't go to the grocery store every day or, you know, go to restaurants, that they're, you know, we need some balance here in, in making sure people have access to healthy, nutritious, affordable food. I know that's not, you know, a problem for either you or me, but making those things more accessible is, is something we should all be concerned about. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I'm trying to be as mindful as I can because as a very, very, very wealthy person, guys, um, I understand that uh, this might fall on deaf ears, but being someone who's super, super rich like myself, uh, I'm in touch with the common man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I spend, I just spend, I feel like I just spend way more of a ratio of my income on food than than a lot of other people do. And I feel like, again, if you went to, if you go to Europe, I feel like everyone's like, oh, they're so pretentious and so snooty and they eat so, all, all these all these expensive foods. It's like, they make less money than us per capita. They just spend more food, more money on food right. than we do, than we a lot. And, and I feel like, you know, maybe reshift some things, you know, maybe instead of getting, you know, the cable package that has literally every single channel, you know, dial down a little bit. You don't need to get only get, Netflix. Yeah, get only <laughs> Netflix and get yourself a fucking local potato. <laughs> no, I, I agree. There has to be a shifting of priorities so that people, you know, realize and, and I think that's happening because of COVID, to be quite honest. People who weren't thinking about food and health uh before are now thinking about it all the time and, and and shifting some of their consumption practices but like you i spend what i mean i should say way too much money but i feel like it's like the right amount of money for me and my husband we spend a lot of money on food because it's the thing i care about most and and you know i'm not going to be ashamed about that i don't think you should and neither am i and it's like i we've gotten to this thing in our country where it's this race to the bottom of who can spend the least amount of money on food and 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 it's like, you can think that's cool and you can think of all that stuff, but like, if, you know, for the $2 a pound that you're saving on that pork, if I showed you a video of what that pork, what that pig was living like versus the one, you know, that you, you're paying two bucks more for, I feel like you'd shell out the two bucks more. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it's well, not, this is not just being pretentious. This is like, this is being like ethically, not even like ethically, uh, like we're not being like super, what is the word I'm looking for? We're not being like uh, ethically holier than thou. It's just ethically moral. Right. That's in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with you. And I think what we've seen with food, you know, workers this year, you know, folks who are working in processing plants, like if you don't have to care about the pig, but you should care about people. And, and, and if this year hasn't showed you the sort of horrendous conditions that many folks are working in and under, then th that that should be all the more reason to buy, you know, products like, you know, from from local producers, people who are raising their animals, you know, in a more humane way, you know, who are able to process them at local uh, process them at local processing plants, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, 
animal welfare is is something that I, I feel uh, deeply and care a lot about, but it hasn't changed people's minds. So I feel like if we can put a human face to these issues and show like these are the these are the people behind your food and they're not paid very well. So, you know, you you should support places that do pay them a living wage that do, you know, protect them and 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 care about their lives and their livelihoods. Those those are that's the kind of food system I want to support. By the way, even if you don't care about animal welfare or those employees and you just care about the food, it's going to taste better. It's going right. to objectively taste a lot better. You know, for not that much more. Um, so it's, and that's, you know, that's the most superficial reason to do it, but it's like, there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. And I feel like if more people knew, or just, again, saw that side by side picture of the two pigs, uh, and how they were living, uh, they would, they would, they would shell out a couple extra bucks here and save a, a couple extra bucks somewhere else. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you are calling us from a hotel room that probably doesn't have a great refrigerator or maybe it, maybe it does. Maybe it has the most fantastic mini bar I've ever seen. How do you, uh, you know, I'm wondering when you're traveling and working and, and, and shooting these different shows and, and the podcast, what would you find in your refrigerator in a, in a hotel? Okay, so I have a couple things that I can't live without. Uh, one is peanut butter puffins, the cereal. <laughs> I love it. I cannot live without my puffins. I mean, we can talk as much. We just went off about local vegetables and local meat and this and that. No, I want my processed cereal. Uh, no, I guess puffins are sort of good, right? They're like not like that. They're not as bad, yeah. Not as bad. I also can't live without uh, Nespresso. I need my Nespresso coffee. <laughs> I know, again, not ethically great. Um, I have some cheeses actually that were sent to me from uh, Jasper Jasper Hill Farms that are yeah. so delicious. They're from Vermont and they are just like, I think some of the best cheeses uh, in the country right now. Um, I'm pretty simple though. I'm, I got a baguette this morning from a little bakery down the street. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I finished shooting recently and I was like, I want to stay in New York for a little bit just to see what it's like during COVID, like what this sure. outdoor dining is like, all that stuff and um, just to kind of experience it. But my fridge right now is pretty sad. Yeah, it's literally these two pieces. By the way, it's like a tiny, yes, it's like a tiny mini bar thing. I took all the booze out of it and I just <laughs> put in two two pieces of cheese. So um, yeah, it's it's yeah. not it's not that fancy. I'm, I'm probably going to do more going and experiencing uh, the restaurants and trying to support, you know, I'll, I'll say that I'm doing it to support them, but it's more just to, you know. You're hungry. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm hungry, guys. All right? You don't always have to have a story, be, you know, about every every food you put in your mouth. I'm hungry, and I'm in New York, and uh, I'm excited for some really good food. No, and absolutely support all of those independent restaurants who've had a hard time this year and support the people who are working uh, at them. And, and I will not. I will be going to the Olive Garden morning, <laughs> noon, and night. You can do that too. You can do that too. Um, no, but the, the others would appreciate your help. Good. It won't be good for your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so your new season starts November 11th. You mentioned some of the guests you're going to have on it. What 
it, what were you most surprised by and what were you most disappointed by when you talked to some of your guests? And you don't have to name names. I will say, you know, Eric Andre is a good buddy of mine and he's uh, the host of the Eric Andre show. And he's just one of the most bombastic people you've ever met in your life. Like if you see his show, if you guys know him, he's out of his mind. He was so serene and calm when we talked about food. It just like, I don't know what it was. It was like his blankie went on and he just was just like Mr. Calm wanted to talk about food. I was like, are you the same guy who like runs on stage naked and pours ranch dressing all over yourself? Um, <laughs> which was very funny. Uh, I think Phil Rosenthal uh, was, it wasn't a surprise. He was just the most delightful person who's just, his passion, passion for food just oozes out of his body. Um, and, you know, I feel like our conversation was really interesting because we spoke to, you know, as a comic and someone who develops shows and stuff, we spoke to the uh, other aspect of his, of his kind of second act in his career, which is how he went from being one of the most successful uh, TV comedy writers in history to having, to running up against every single roadblock you could imagine to getting wow. a food TV show and how he had to put his ego to the side of, you know, of being the top man on campus to suddenly being the bottom man on campus. But like, working for about 10 years to realize this dream of, of somebody feed Phil. So that was, I thought, a cool little uh, interesting way to get into to his, uh, his second act in his career. Oh, that's really cool and inspiring. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, it's Green Eggs and Dan. Where can people find it? You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, Green Eggs and Dan. And uh, please... Uh, uh, to get updates and look at people's fridges, you can go on my my Instagram, which is at standupdan. That's awesome. I cannot wait for the new season. You have been such a delight and a pleasure and really pumped up my day. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on the show. Good luck with your podcast. Again, I can't wait to listen. And I hope everyone will um, uh, listen to uh, this podcast when it comes out on Food Talk with Danny Nierberg, where you can listen anywhere you can find podcasts. Thanks so much, Dan. Danny, thank you so much. It's been an honor. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, yeah, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks, Dan. Stay well, please. This is Rob Perra, Food Talk's executive producer. Let Danny and I know what you think of the new podcast format. Send us an email at danielle at foodtank.com. Please feel free to suggest future guests and anything you think we can improve. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next time.